today we are wrapping up this beautiful series, a uh, six-week series that's called Hustle and Hush. And this is where Chris has been walking us through Paul's words in Romans 8 and showing us the effects of attempting to live life according to our own efforts and to our own strength, which would be the hustle, versus the peace and the calm that come along with living life according to the spirit, the hush. And at the forefront of this comparison is the metaphor of a sailboat with the sail being opened and us trying to maybe use our breath to blow onto the wind to, on the sail to get it to move about in the water where we think it should go and, and how to move about uh, in our own efforts. And would that work? Mm, probably, maybe like a little bit. Would it get us very far? Probably not. However, when we sit back and we allow the sail to do what it is meant to do, we are able then to just let us go where we should go, where we're guided to where we need to be. And actually, we could probably go further than if we were doing this on our own free will. Last week, Chris spoke about the intercession of the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit guides us in our weaknesses. And it's through the intercession of the Spirit that we as believers are able to know God. We're not just knowing about God, but we are knowing who God is. We are knowing Him. He's knowing us. And today, to close out the series, I'm going to start us off with one word, and Chris already said it earlier, it's triumph. More specifically, the triumph of God's love. To be honest, I don't necessarily use triumph day to day in my speaking. It's not in my, you know, vocal repertoire. So I looked it up just to make sure I was, I was on point with what it means. Clearly, it means to celebrate, to boast happily of a success, to rejoice proudly of a victory. Triumph. We're celebrating. We're rejoicing, we're happy, we're joyful. Why? Well, God's love. I'm going to be honest, those two words hold me up and they stop me in my tracks. They perplex me. And those two words do that because I'm not sure that I understand them together. I understand God and I understand what I think that love is. However, what I call love and what he calls love, they don't exactly look the same. And I know that I'm not alone in that because Paul spends these, these nine verses that Chris just read trying to explain that, that because of God's love for us, we will never be separated from him. If it were as simple, and, and if it were as simple as we make it to be, if we understood this, then I think Paul could have said, hey, God loves you and uh, you'll never be separated from him. And then we would have been like, okay, that's great. And Paul would have moved on. To what he goes to next, but he doesn't. He explains the entirety of these things that will never separate us from God because of God's love for us. And the more that he tries to get me to understand that I, you, we as believers are more secure, more than secure with our creator because of his love, the more that I realize that love does not fit into this box that I've placed it into. And now when Chris read along, I'm actually going to go through and I'm going to read it one more time. Two reasons. One, because it's in my notes and I wanted to do it that way. <laughs> Two, I don't think we can ever overread scripture. So I'm going to read it again. And if you want to follow with me, and yes, I'm one of the few with the, uh, the paper copy that Chris said. But uh, just follow along, please. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? 
Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So I read this, and there's, a, there's this problem that Paul is presenting. And that problem is one that I deal with very often every single day. Clearly, Paul was dealing with this as well as the other believers with him. And I'm sure that every single believer has faced this either at one point or a thousand points in their lives. And the problem is fear and doubt. And it's not just any type of fear and doubt. It's not like, hey, I'm afraid of spiders, I'm afraid of snakes. Oh, I don't know. You know, I don't know how today's going to go. It's the fear and doubt that we as believers have, and it lives within us, unfortunately. And it makes us question whether or not we could be separated from God and from his love. And it's a fear that paralyzes us into this lukewarm passivity in our day-to-day lives. What does that mean? What are those things that creep into our thoughts? What are they? What are those things that make us question our standing with God or even our salvation? What are those things that make us feel like he's going to abandon us or that maybe he already did? What are those things that prevent us from living as the triumphant, confident image bearers that we are in Christ Jesus? At the time of Paul writing this, those fears and doubts for believers portray themselves in verse 35 as trouble, hardship, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword. Today, day-to-day life for Christians has changed, mostly for us here in the western part of the world. But we are still dealing just as much today as they were then with these daily fears and doubts. It just looks differently. It looks differently for us than it did then. And for us, Maybe, maybe it's an awareness of our own personal sins and our own personal shortcomings, who we are, the things that we do. We become aware of that. Maybe it's those unanswered prayers that we've been sitting on. And I'm sure every single one of us has at least one prayer that has been what we are perceiving as unanswered. Maybe it's the trials and hardships that are coming. And as we get older, I find that they are becoming more Maybe it's a death of somebody who we, we just weren't ready for. Not that we're ever ready for death, but, you know, especially right now, it seems like some people are, are just leaving us. And, and you know, maybe, maybe we're curious about God's questioning or God's reasoning for that. Maybe it's day-to-day life, you know, all of the, the trials and hardships that we can come against. Maybe our kids are getting ready to move out the house and they're getting ready to make some jacked up choices that we've been trying to walk them through. And no matter what we do, they're just 
doing all the other things and we're questioning all that we've ever done our entire lives with God. Other things that we're dealing with. How about our past mistakes? How many times have those crept up? Hey, what do you think you're doing, Nicole? Who, are you, who do you think you are to go and try to tell others about God? Don't you know the mistakes that you've made? Those are things that I deal with when I'm trying to you know, navigate through life. Those are some of the fears that I deal with. How about theological uncertainty? And a time where we have all the ability to do all the research that we want to and that we need to, we can, and I, I would encourage it. I would encourage, if you have questions about God, look it up. Get godly counsel and look it up. However, there's a thing in us that says, oh, you're questioning God. He's, he's going to get mad at you for this. He's, you're donezo. That's not true. How about those seasons of spiritual dryness that we have? Where maybe we're just not, we're just not feeling as, as alive as we once were. Maybe when we first gave our life to God. That exciting little, you know, that first love. We're not feeling that anymore. Maybe we haven't been feeling it for a while. Maybe we haven't been feeling it for years. God's walked out on me. He's left me. It's not true. How about the sin that hasn't been fully repented of or acknowledged? It's sitting there in the back of our minds. And we know that we should talk about it to God. We don't want to because we're afraid if we do, he's going to actually see us. I'm going to give you a spoiler. He already knows. But those are things that we fear. We're fearing loss of even daily comforts. Hey, I might get, I might get let go of my job soon. You know, we fear that. God, if this happens, you know, what are you doing? Where are you at? We're so scared about where we stand with God. And I think if we said that we weren't, I think we would be lying. And even the most secure of us, and those things, they still pop up. And what do we do? Who do we go to? What do we turn to? Paul publicly recognizes these fears and these doubts that live within us within every one of us, and then he rectifies it for us, which is great. Otherwise, we wouldn't be anywhere. He gives us the assurance, the, the rectification of all of that, how you solve all of that. How do we solve? We've got all of these problems that we're dealing with, these issues. How do we solve it? Well, we don't, first of all. You don't. You can't. Paul gives us this assurance this, of, the, of the resounding affirmation of God's love and his commitment to us to us who belong to him through faith in Christ Jesus so that we can stand and triumph in truth while the truth is triumphing instead of sinking in fear and in doubt. We're going to take a closer look. Verse 31 shows us that if God is for us, then who could be against us? This is a rhetorical question, and Paul asked over 25 of them throughout the book of Romans. It can also be read as, since God is for us. This is telling us that God is for us. And by declaring that God is for us, he is emphasizing the fact that we have the most powerful ally in the universe on our side. And this ally also happens to be the creator of that universe. 22, or sorry, 32. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us. He gave his son as the ultimate demonstration of his love. Those of you that have children, sit on that for a second. And if you don't have children, think about the person that you love a whole lot, okay? And think about sending them to go pay for everybody else in the world's shortcomings, sin, falling, 
If it were logical to us in our minds, then we would sit here and we would say, oh, well, duh, that's what you do when you love somebody. Of course you sin your child. But that's not what you do. That's not what we, we, that's, we don't see that. I'm not saying go and sacrifice your child. But what I'm saying is that is the ultimate demonstration of his love and his commitment to us. That right there should probably give us some sort of peace, some sort of comfort when we're dealing with those things, right? But Paul still goes on. He's like, no, listen, okay, let's go. Let's go deeper into it. And that commitment, that's the, that's the extent in which God values and desires the relationship with us, his creation. And a, and a sidebar, just if anybody's not sure, just because Jesus came and he lived his perfect life and he was crucified does not mean that humanity is automatically saved, okay? It means that because he did what he did, we now have the opportunity to choose whether or not we want to put our faith in him, thus securing our place in eternity. And again, this is only possible. You only have that choice because of God's love. 33 to 34 shows us that we are justified through Christ before God and free from condemnation. Justification means declared righteous before God through Jesus and what he did. More simply, your sins are forgiven. Okay? Who is the one who condemns? No one. The enemy can try. Everybody can try. But it doesn't matter. None of that matters. Because of Jesus and our faith and trust in him and what he did, we are declared righteous before God. No accusation about any sin could sway or convince God to overrule his decision, period. 35 through 39, verses 35 through 39, we see this invincible love that we have from God despite any and all challenges. So earlier, Paul listed trouble, hardship, persecution, famine, nakedness, um, trouble, sword. These are all things that Christians face daily when Paul wrote this. And though our day-to-day -day challenges that cause us to fear and doubt look different then than they do now, the truth of how we navigate through those is the same. And it's by resting in the fact that none of that, none of it then, none of it now, none of it in the future will ever stand between us and our God. In fact, Paul describes us as more than conquerors. So we've not only won, we've more than won. And I still, that kind of grabs my head weird. I don't know. How can he more than win? We've done it. And, but we've only done that through Jesus. We've more than won a battle that we never even prepared for, that we could never prepare for. All the preparing in the world, we still would never win, period. We cannot do it. Paul lists all the things. Early, um, earlier, it was the list that can happen uh, to us in this life. And then in 38, he starts listing anything and everything to completely put all of our insecurities that we may have toward our relationship with God to rest. Death, life, angels, demons, spirits, powers, height, depth, nothing. Nothing ever can or ever will separate us from the love of God that we as believers have through Jesus. And now what do we do? Because it's good to sit here and read this and to know this and to hear this. Well, first of all, we need to put our minds at rest because we've just been assured, we've just given this, we've been given this eternal assurance that our minds and our hearts can rest in him. 
all that extra stuff, all the extra garbage that we think about and that we that controls our minds and, and causes us to doubt and question, put it to rest. But how do we apply this to our lives? Well, we can close our Bibles or close our Bible app. We can get a little jazzed, be a little excited. Hey, I've never thought about it like that before. God really loves me. Woo! Living that hashtag blessed life, right? Now, we can do that, but it doesn't stop there. We first, you, we have to make sense of this. We have to start to make sense of this and what this means for us. Some of us just learned or been reminded of this love for you that is impenetrable. You literally cannot go through it, okay? What do we do? We have to do something because if we sit here and we do nothing, what are we even doing? Why are we even here? Because so often we get in, into this trap of, you know, here, everything sounds great. I'm, I'm pumped up. And then we're just like, well, that was a great message. Or I'm glad I know that. Let's put it into action. We have to put it into action. That's what we are called to do. First, let's celebrate. God's love is, is, is triumph in itself. We can triumph with that. We can triumph because of that. We sit here and we need to rejoice. We need to rejoice in the victory of who he says that we are, of what he's done. We go and we be who he says that we are. We go and we imitate who he is and what he has done for us because we are grateful, because we have the choice to be able to spend eternity with him through his love, through Jesus. And that does not change. No matter how inept or terrible or unqualified that we think that we are, and no matter how many times that we fail, we get back up and we go and we try to do something else, which of course we might fail again, but you get back up and you get back up through him. Earlier I said that we were looking at the triumph of God's love and after studying all of this, I recognized something. I recognized that there's a difference. Remember, I said it doesn't look the same. There's that difference of, of love, what I give, and the love that God is dropping every moment of every day for all of time. It's different. And I recognize the difference. It's sacrifice. God loves you. God loves me. All of us with a sacrificial love. That's the missing component. And that's why my version of love does not line up with what I see him dropping. And since now I can make that connection, things start to look a little different. My hopes and my dreams are starting to look a little different. Our hopes and our dreams can start to look a little different. And we start to live this love through this love. We live this life through this love that he has given us. We share this love that he has given us. And we start doing that by loving sacrificially. Well, what does that mean? Start making others a priority. Seek to understand their needs, their well-being, their perspectives. Offer help when needed. Start forgiving others and letting go of the bitterness and the cattiness and these grudges that we have and the resentment. Forgive others the way that God has forgiven us through Jesus. Be kind. Be actually kind. Be real, real kind. Be intentional about it. Show compassion to everyone, regardless of where they are, because guess what? Jesus met you where you are. Jesus met you. He met me where we are and where we were. Nobody else is any different than that. We have no right to be fake and false to other people. 
serve the way that Jesus served. And that was selflessly. When we serve, we should not expect anything in return. This is what he did. Christian means Christ-like, Christ-follower. That's exactly who we are. We are to mirror him. Give generously. Be willing to give your time, your talents, your resources, even when it's inconvenient for you. Listen and encourage. Make a conscious effort to sit down and listen to somebody and do it without a device in your hand because you can't listen to them while you're listening to your devices. I mean, I'm not going to get into that tangent. <laughs> it shows that you care for them. Offer words of encouragement. Practice humility. And I think the most humble of us can, can always work on that. Don't worry about seeking recognition for your acts of love because if, if it's genuine, then it does not seek to elevate, ele, elevate oneself. If it's genuine, you don't, need to, you don't need to elevate yourself. Respect each other. Ooh. Treat everybody, regardless of who they are, what they are doing, with dignity. And I say that knowing that we have an election year coming up. So that's what I'm going to say about that, but we all, we all have differences. We can all see things differently, but we can still respect each other and treat each other with dignity. Pray for others and actually pray for them. Don't do the, you know, we all do it sometimes. Oh my gosh, I'm going to pray for you. It's gone. That second. Completely forget. Pray with them in the moment. And I know that's weird. I'm telling you, for like 20 years, I couldn't stand when people would be like, let me pray with you now. It made me feel weird. I felt cringy. Now I'm like, dude, let's pray now. Like, it doesn't even matter. Like, just do it. Pray for them. Don't be afraid to step out of your comfort zone. Practice patience. Hmm. <laughs> that is a difficult one, but it helps a little bit whenever you understand that every single person is on their own individual journey and dealing with their own individual struggles just like you. Try to be patient with them. Love our enemies, that's so difficult. Pray for your heart on that, okay? And then again, avoid judgment. We have to avoid judgment, and we can do that by remembering that every one of us falls short. We have fallen short, we do fall short, and we will fall short, but that's okay. That's okay. Finally, now, not only does our, the way that we love look different, but the way that we pray looks different. Our prayer is going to look different. We now always have something that we can pray for. You know how last week, when those of you that listened, Chris spoke about the intercession of the Holy Spirit, and whenever we're sitting there in those groans, and, it's, and we don't know what to pray for, but the Holy Spirit intercedes on behalf of us. I have another little, a little sprinkle of, of excitement to put onto that. So yes, the Holy Spirit will intercede for us. And guess what? We can give a little more. All we have to do is pray like this. God, I'm not sure which way to direct my prayers with you right now, but please show me not only how to embrace, but how to emulate sacrificial love. Show me how to love the way that you love. Just try that. That's all you have to do. I mean, I'm not saying it's like this, you know, remedy for life. We solved all the problems now. However, what I am saying is try it because I am almost as sure as I am standing here right now that when you invite the Holy Spirit in to do what the Holy Spirit does, you will see the Holy Spirit move 
in ways that you've never even dreamed of possible.